It's February 14, 1867. What's significant? Some of you may remember that date. Pastor Ken? 1867, what happened February 14th? Anybody have a guess? Eh? Confederation, really? <laughs> and she's a teacher. Any other guesses? 1867, I'll give you one hint. Sakichi! Does that help you? No? Oh, there he is. Sakichi Toyoda! You know what that is? Okay, just think about it, because if you change the last name a little bit, what does that sound like? Hey, this is the day he was born. And I'm thankful for this guy, because I drive Toyota. Huh? So this is a fantastic day in history. Uh, February 14th, 1867, this guy um, created that company, which actually outsold, I think it was last year, outsold all of GM. So that's pretty impressive. Sachi Toyota. He was, um, he was working in a textile machinery company and spawned this uh, corporation, Toyota uh, Motor Corp, later on in uh, 1867. So next we have something else that happened in 1929, February 14th, 1929. What do you think? Stark market crashed? I know. Anyone else? Anyone? February 14th, 1929. No. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll give you a hint. Picture? Remember that? Al Capone and Bugs Moran. So February 14th is actually a day when four men dressed as police officers, they entered gangster Bugs Moran's headquarters. They thought Bugs was there. And on North Clark Street in Chicago, and they lined up set seven of Moran's henchmen against the wall and they shot them to death. So that's called the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And uh, that was kind of the slow end of Al Capone and Bug Moran's because after that, Bugs lost all power, shall we say. And soon after that, they both ended up in jail. So that was 1929. All right, so you guys, I don't know, especially Monica back there, that's zero for two. How about the third one? What's going on on February 14th, 278 A.D.? 278, 278 A.D. Nobody remembers, huh? All right, well, show the picture. Does that help you? Yeah, St. Valentine. So the legend, did somebody get it? Oh, almost. <laughs> Almost, almost, but uh, you're, you're halfway there. So uh, on uh, February 14th, 278, so there's this a legend that happened that um, um, under the rule of Claudius the Cruel, Rome was involved in many unpopular and bloody campaigns. The emperor had a rough time maintaining his army, and it was having a difficult, difficult time getting people to sign up for some reason. So what he did is uh, he believed that Roman women were, were unwilling to join the army because of their strong attachment to their wives and families. So, to get rid of the problem, Claudius banned all marriages and engagements in Rome. But Valentine, I believe uh, he, he was part of the Catholic Church then, realizing the injustice of the decree, defied Claudius and continued to perform marriages for young lovers in secret. 
when Valentine's actions were discovered, he was obviously put in jail. And later on, Claudius ordered that he be put to death. He was arrested, uh, dragged before the prefect of Rome, who condemned him to be beaten to death and beheaded. The sentence was carried out on February 14th, on or about the year 270. Legend also has it that while in jail, St. Valentine left a farewell note for the jailer's daughter, who had become his friend and signed it, from your Valentine. Huh? There you go. So apparently that's the legend. And that will shuttle us, believe it or not, into our sermon today. But before we go, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for, again, what you've done for us. And Valentine's made this be a time where we're just... Um, reminiscent, intentional, and thoughtful about love that we have experienced, love that we are giving and can continue to give, love in our neighbor, love in each other, love in our spouse, love in our kids, and obviously the love that we experience from you by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sins. So thank you for that. And I just ask, Lord Jesus, that today you would help us to... uh, enjoy and submit to your word and that we would become more like you because we've hung out together today. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter five. We're gonna be in Ephesians chapter five for a while. So take your time to uh, flip on over there and you might wanna get a pen or highlighter or something like that because there's some juicy verses in here that need to be bolded or, or highlighted to keep our attention. Ephesians chapter five. He starts off, the Paul does, writing to the, to the church in Ephesus there, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. But among you there must not be any hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, greed, because these are actually improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, obscenity uh, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but replace that with thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you once, in verse 8, for you once, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, and find out what pleases the Lord. I find that interesting. He says, uh, for you were once in darkness, but now live as children of the light. And find out what pleases the Lord. Figure it out. Work hard at it. Go for it. Dig. Verse 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but actually rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You want to know the Lord's will? Verse 18, don't be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or dissipation. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from the Lord or from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now we're going to transition from uh, his instruction as the living in the, in the world, and now we kind of bring it on down more meddlingly to your home. In verse 21, he says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as Christ submits, sorry, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives. Let me pause there. So you'll see there's the big juicy S word, which has been used out of context and abused and all that stuff. But you'll even notice how much is actually dedicated to chatting about submission. Now pay attention to how much is chatted about when it comes, or how much is used when it comes to chatting about love and the love that husbands must have for their wives. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about the church and Christ. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Just for commentary's sake, I also want to read just a short bit from a different translation. It says this, Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. I like that, that cherish word there again. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not by getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. So there is quite the passage of scripture, which I'm sure you've heard either in churches or on radio taken out of context, or perhaps you've been in a marriage or you know people that are in a marriage where they like to raise this flag nice and high about a submission or something like that. So I'm hoping that today we can have a good glimpse here and get a different perspective or a different filter on what is Paul meaning by this and how does this relate to us today? Because even as I read that, I was thinking this morning, I was thinking a couple things this morning. First of all, why am I going to this passage of Scripture, which is so juicy and scary sometimes? And, and secondly, I'm going, 
what would it be like to speak on this passage in today's culture? I don't think the culture would really appreciate this message all that much today. But we got to remember that we're actually talking about a new way. And Paul is actually addressing Christians. And he's also addressing them that this is the Christian way of doing marriage. You see, he's also battling culture, you guys. He's battling even the mindset that in the Old Testament, the man owned the wife. She was a possession. And here, if you really pay attention to this, he is, he is smashing that argument down. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. He's putting a huge onus on the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's a Christian way of marriage. Well, Psalm 40 says something that I just want to throw out today. It says, Psalm 40, verse 9, I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Sometimes it's dangerous to stand up against injustice. Sometimes it's dangerous to stand up against hatred, against prejudice. Sometimes it's difficult to oppose the world's view of things. And sometimes it's just plain hard to stick up for what is right. I think, you guys, I think sometimes we get it in our heads that in order to stand up for something, we have to make that stand obvious by standing up against something. Okay? I think sometimes we as Christians think we have to stand up against something. So therefore, we come across as kind of grumpy prudes, always standing up against something. What's the problem here? Oh, praise the Lord. And there was light. You could tell me. I was just like, right? Stand up against something. Um, Therefore, we can quickly be seen or come across as a killjoy or a grumpy Christian because we're always standing up against something. But I wonder sometimes if it would be more prudent and effective if we strove to stand up for something passionately and emphatically and making the case for something and living it out with a po- in a positively irresistible way. So right now you all know that marriage is under attack in North America. It's a, under attack around the whole world. What does it mean? So are we just going to sit there and, oh, no, I can't believe this is going on and we're all bitter and grumpy about the whole thing? Or can we in some way live such different lives and different marriages in a Christ like way so that others go wow i can't believe how much they enjoy being together i can't believe the respect they show for each other i can't believe they're celebrating their 60th wedding anniversary you see what i'm saying instead of constantly standing up for what we don't believe in how about raising the flag nice and high of this is what we do believe in and we're going to show it by how we talk and how we treat one another there's a difference there How about if we would approach marriage in such a way that others look and they find us irresistible? Irresistible. There's a line on the show, Friday Night Lights, horribly deep show. Uh, Coach Taylor says, 
You can't, he says to a student, he says, you can't go around judging other people by their actions and then expect them to judge you by your intentions. I like that. I like that a lot. So we all love to look at your actions. I like to look at your actions and go, oh, I can't believe that they did that. But then I do something stupid. I'm going, well, wait, I didn't mean it. My heart was, you know. And we have this two different standards when it comes to how we like to judge others and how we like to be judged. I thought that was a pretty neat uh, part in that show. So what I'm trying to say is, is there a chance that we can even in our relationships, be it in our home, be it in in our relationships with the one we love, our spouse, our kids or whatever, live in such a way that others can look at us and not just the intention, but even by our actions, see that we're motivated by a Christ-like love for one another and we love each other deeply, even with when we make mistakes and all that stuff. So first of all, I want us to see from our portion of Scripture today, verse 1, it says, follow the example of Christ. So all of what we're going to look at today, it has to be couched within this Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Number one, follow Christ. Follow God's way of showing love. Follow Christ. That's not all that easy. I mean, think about it. How we had it pretty good in the garden and we messed it up. And if that wasn't good enough, then you have the flood and he still redeems people. And if that's not good enough, he finally sends Jesus Christ and walks among us and we kill him too. But yet his sacrifice paid it so that we can enter into the Holy of Holies and relate to the Almighty God. Boy, I see a pursuing, 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 pursuing love. Even though I'm just sitting there, I don't care, God. I don't care about you. You too. You were the same. While we were still sinners, while we still sought to be selfish and totally all about ourselves, Christ died for you. Follow the example of Christ. So start there before you go anywhere else into the love or into the submit passage. You got to start there. You were once in darkness, all of us. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart of man is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Isn't that true? Sometimes I turn on the news and I'm just disgusted at some of the things that go on. But folks, it's interesting because if you're really honest with yourselves, you left up to your own desires, unchecked, could be a pretty scary person. All of us have a darkness or a capability of being very dark. So thank God for his grace who helps us live in a different way. But here I found it interesting as I was reading this passage. I uh, noticed a couple times, uh, he says, for you were once in darkness, once, so that means you were, but now you are light in the Lord. So he says, live like it. Live as children of light. And in verse 15, he says, be careful then how you live or make the most of every opportunity. So he's constantly telling us how to live differently. He wants us to live differently. It's time to turn the page. I sometimes say that when I'm chatting with people, whatever, there's decisions that we make in life. You were single, now you're married. It's time to turn the page. You don't just go hang out with your buddies and do whatever you want. It's time to turn the page. You've said, I do, now you're a married man. 
Live like it. Or then you start having kids. And kids take lots of time, lots of energy, lots of money, everything. Well, suck it up, princess. You wanted kids. Now live like it. What I mean is one time I had a premarital counseling session within my home, and it was kind of interesting. Both of them did not have a relationship with the Lord. And one of the things that came up, we were talking about trust and all that, and it's when they went to the bar, they still went to the bars, and then when they'd have a few drinks, his buddies would actually hit on his fiance. And I was just going, it's time to turn the page. And that's exactly what I said to him. You got to turn the page. You're getting married. If you're seriously, your good buddies are hitting on your wife or a wife-to-be, yeah, consider who you're hanging out with and definitely consider going to the pub and having that many drinks that you're not with it, right? Turn the page is what I was saying to my friends. Turn the page. Live like people of the cross. He goes on in verse 18 to say, uh, do not be drunk with wine which leads to, to dissipation but, or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And what that means is do not be drunk with whatever. Do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with beer, scotch. Do not be drunk with popularity. Do not be drunk with riches. Do not be drunk with greed. Do not be drunk with such selfish ambitions. Do not be drunk with such a poor self-image that you suck everybody else around you dry. Do not be drunk with this. But be drunk, be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. So there's a long list of stuff before we even get to the whole marriage thing of loving and submitting that we got to look at here. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, part of the Godhead that is given to each and every one of us when we have this relationship with Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, submit to each other. Submit to each other. And yes, he is talking about marriages. Yes, he's talking about family relationships. Yes, he's talking about relationships out there. And yes, he's talking about relationships within the church. We need to have a spirit of submission toward one another. That doesn't mean we don't get, ever get anything done because we're always laying down like a puppy, scratch me on the belly kind of deal. No, no, no. But there is a spirit of submission, a spirit of really listening to one another and seeking to get along by submitting and loving one another. That's also here in the church. So it makes no sense that if I'm, for instance, the lead pastor and go, well, you can't question him. Or if, on your board, if you're on the board and if I come to you and I'm concerned about something, I can question you because there's this spirit of submission and love for one another. It's important that we have that. Submit to each other. And then we get to the different part. Verse 21, I think it is. Submit to your own husband. So first of all, I want you to read that and say, submit to your own husband. So we're not talking a hierarchical thing here. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about ladies, submit to all the guys out there. That's not what this is saying. But we have to first off, Remember context. We have to remember context. So we need to be careful how we interpret Scripture. you got to see that it's plunked in the New Testament. you got to see it's part of the Bible. you got to see it's part of Ephesians, who he's talking to, who is writing it, why is he writing it, what kind of literature is it, what's the genre, who wrote it, and to whom was it written, and what is the whole context and reason behind the whole writing. It's really important to know that stuff. 
Because if you just want to, if you're just feeling like, oh, my wife needs to submit. So you run to this verse right there and you just grab it without any kind of um, thought toward, uh, any kind of thought toward context or, or interpretation. Then we should also go before that where it says, and remember, have no coarse talk, but speak to one another in hymns and spiritual songs and psalms. So that means every time you and I talk, we have to sing to one another. No thanks, right? No thanks. But that's what we're talking about. You can't just pick and choose. This isn't a buffet. You don't just go and grab little juicy pieces of the salad that you like. This is the word of God. Treat it with respect and within context. So we prayed today for Dale and Ann Little, and Dale actually did a lot of of research on this passage. So I'm going to chat a little bit about what he said. The grammar, especially in this whole submit to your husband's kind of deal, is to understand our text today, we need to know that the word submit in the NIV, New International Version, is actually linked to the main verb back in 518. And the main verb there is, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So everything hinges, the grammar hinges on be controlled or be filled by the Holy Spirit. Be filled by the Holy Spirit. So the other four English verbs in 19 to 21 are actually linked back to and they are dependent upon that main verb filled with the Spirit back in verse 18. So the English verbs in 18 to 21 could be listed like this. Be filled with the Spirit, singing, making music, giving thanks, and submitting. The ing is very dependent. Because you're filled with the Spirit, you will submit to each other. You'll sing to each other. You know what I'm saying? It's all dependent. Those ing words are dependent upon your relationship with Christ. That you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. That is, the grammar does not dictate how the independent verbs of 19 to 21 should relate to the main verb of 18. For example, the ing verbs could mean be filled with the Spirit by singing, by making music, by giving thanks, and by submitting. But the emphasis would always be on being filled by the Spirit of God. I think that's very helpful. Because this verse has been poorly interpreted and used and abused by a lot of people that are not filled by the Spirit of God and have no interest in having Spirit-filled marriages or relationships. Love your wife Love like Christ loved the church. And upon review, just really quickly, I think it was Christ who washed the feet of his disciples. I think it was Christ that says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And I think it was even Christ who died on the cross for you and for me, his bride, his church. That's an intense pursuing kind of love. In fact, before I ever submitted to Jesus Christ, he loved me and died on the cross for me. Do you get that order? So he loved me and he showed his love before I was interested at all in submitting my life to him in obedience. 
I mean, it's so easy to abuse this verse and have some kind of hierarchical relationship. In fact, I've had couples or folks in my office, and one of the first things that he said was, she just doesn't submit. I just have a big, fat, red flag. Instantly, right off the bat, if that's what you're worried about, I'm guessing there's a problem with the whole love equation of your relationship too. He's not getting it then. I think poor thinking and selfish interpretation, we're, we're tempted to interpret the scripture however way it conveniences us. For example, for me and Jody, if I'm supposed to try and provide leadership and spiritual leadership with my wife and kids and home, that's a great responsibility. So if I'm supposed to love and create some kind of leadership within my home, that sounds fine and dandy, but to me, and I hope to you, if you're honest with yourself, that is overwhelming, you guys. That scares me sometimes. I daily think about the welfare of my children and how to raise them, where to raise them, the, the folks that hang out with them, their schooling. I think about it daily. I think a lot also about leadership in the church. Here I am, and you guys at some point entrusted me with the shepherding. I take that seriously, and it, I walk softly because I realize it's huge, and it's a privilege and a huge responsibility. A responsibility that sometimes isn't all that fun. It feels like I want to do uh, this is I'm, I'm not using a broad brush here but it feels that I want to do what I see quite a few teenagers do today I want all the privileges of leadership I want all the privileges of adulthood but I want none of the responsibilities or accountability I'm the leader of my house right come on Jody and I constantly submit to each other. There's times, you guys, where she is way sharper and way more knowledgeable and stuff. I have no problem going, please take the lead on this one. But I'll also throw this at you. Is, gentlemen, here's a little, little tidbit for you. I find that our wives also, when we love them dearly and take leadership, especially in the areas of spirituality with our kids and stuff like that, that has benefits as well, and it's a PG-13 here. It's a real turn-on for our wives. Take it seriously. They find that very attractive when we love them deeply and we take leadership seriously. There's times I want to actually skirt my leadership, and one of the reasons, this goes back to my uh, deceitful heart, there's times where I would love to give leadership decisions to my wife. Why? Because if it goes wrong, I can blame her. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? Oh, I can't believe you did that. But meanwhile, I should have been the one making that decision with her. That brings me back to my old nature. That brings me back by being controlled by something that is not of the Spirit of God. So I'm hoping that you're getting it here that this whole submit and love thing to me, I, I'm not even exactly sure why he grabbed those two things. Sometimes I've even been tempted to think, did he touch on submit and touch on love because he knew that those would be the hot buttons in our marriages? That guys would really struggle to love? To love selflessly? 
to go for it, to stick their neck out, be willing to die for our wife. And because we're not too good at that sometimes, ladies would have a tough time going, okay, I trust your leadership on this one. But folks, if we don't go back to the beginning of this chapter, then don't point this out here. We submit to one another. We're imitators of God, therefore dearly loved children. We're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, how do we live life together? But I can't stop there. There's this verse uh, within our scripture today that talks about presenting each other blameless and pure in Christ. Verse 27. Can you imagine if all of us, especially in our marriages, but also beyond that, if we treated each other in such a way with the future in mind that one day you get to present your spouse, you get to present your child, we get to present each other pure and blameless to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That actually what you do and say and how you act here makes a difference in the lives of everybody around here. You have an investment in each other. Husbands, you have an investment in your wife. Wife, you have an investment in your husbands. And imagine if we loved and submitted to one another in such a way that we can get to, there you go. Here's Jody, Lord. Imagine that. If, if I'm in this to present my wife as pure and blameless, if I'm in this, that this side of heaven, I'm going, how can I help this woman reach her God-given potential in Jesus Christ? How can I do that? I start looking for ways because I would find that a nightmare if all of a sudden, if it was possible to sit there at the gates with St. Peter and he goes, did you know what your wife could have become? But you held her back. Wouldn't that be haunting? And I know my wife too is always looking for me to become who I am in Jesus Christ, my potential. What would happen if we would look at each other like that How can we help each other reach our potential in Jesus Christ? Folks, it starts right at the beginning with seeking to imitate Christ. It starts by not being drunk with anything, not your pride, nothing, but being drunk, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And then submitting to each other. And then having a home that seeks to give leadership, love, and submission to each other. And finally, to present each other pure and blameless in Christ. That sounds like a pretty good Valentine's Day gift that we can give one another. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and I thank you for this portion of Scripture that really reminds us of how we can love each other, of how we're actually loved. So all of this talk of how we communicate in our community and how we communicate to our wife and our husband, that first of all comes out of a response that we're loved and that you showed the example. And Christ, you even submitted to the will of God and you died on the cross for our sins and you loved us even though we were not interested. So Father, we ask and I ask for my friends here that you'd help us to live lives of submission First of all, to you, we want you to be the head and the leader of this church. It's your church. 
And Father, help us to have a spirit of submission and deep love, looking for the potential of each other. So that when, when folks look at us, they don't just see, oh, Christians, they stand against this. But help them actually to start seeing, wow, Christians, they stand for this. And they do it well. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.